Hello. There we go. Morning, everyone. Um, we're just going to begin our time today, together today uh, by singing a song that we do at Calvin a lot. Um, it's called Promises. Um, if you know it, sing along. Um, if not, uh, just let it prime your heart for our, our time in worship together this morning. So. Let me put this capo on. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, of faithful promises. And time and time again, you have proven that you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting, same I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. God, from age to age, though your earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Oh, your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Oh, the storms may come and the winds may blow. I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting, same I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. Oh, I put my faith in Jesus my anchor to the ground my hope and firm foundation 
He'll never let me down. Oh, He'll never let me down. Oh, great is Your faithfulness to me. Great is Your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise Your name. Great. the Lord our God this morning. Um, this morning, Mike, Mike is on. I'll turn it a little toward me. There we go. We welcome you this morning. How's that? Is that better for those of you in the back row? You know, if you move up to the front row, you can hear better. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, welcome to, to worship this morning. It is Mother's Day. Um, Praise God for mothers. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank God for mothers. So make sure to call your mother today or take her to lunch or do something that tells your mother she loves you or you love her. Um, I think we're ready to go. Kate, would you start us with our yeah. call to worship? All right. Please stand. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. According to the will of God our Father, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you. Lord, your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your majesty, acts, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom, your kingdom is, is an, an everlasting kingdom, kingdom and your, your dominion, dominion endures through all generations. Please join us in singing our first song this morning, Rejoice in All Your Works. Every mouth that cries for food Every lung that yearns for breath Every eye that searches through the dark for light 
All creation looks to you for its breath and for its food. From the goodness of your hand, we're satisfied. Oh, rejoice in all your works, King of heaven, King of earth. Every creature you have made declares your praise. We rejoice in all you've made, God of all sustaining grace. With the mountain, sky, and sea, we sing your praise. Every tree that thirsts for rain, every bird that seeks its nest, every heart that waits in hope to be made glad. All creation looks to you. Breath and for its food, from the goodness of your hand, we're satisfied. Oh, rejoice in all your works, King of heaven, King of earth. Every creature you have made declares your Rejoice in all you've made, God of all sustaining grace. With the mountain, sky, and sea, we sing your praise. May the ponderings of my heart and the song upon my lips, with the chorus of creation, join. Son who over all creation reigns. Oh, rejoice in all your works, King of heaven, King of earth. Every creature you have made declares your praise. We rejoice in all you've scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 4 verses 14 through 29. Hear God's word to us. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. 
as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zaphath in the region of Sidon. And there there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were focused when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please stand and sing with us, Come As You Are. sadness from wherever you've been come broken hearted let rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come kneel earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal so lay down your burdens Lay down your shame All who are broken Lift up your face Oh wanderer, come Oh 
not too far So lay down your hurt Lay down your heart Come as you are There's hope for the hopeless And all those who've strayed Come sit at the table Come taste the grace There's rest for the weary Rest that endures Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't cure So lay down your burdens Lay down your shame All who are broken Lift up your face Oh, wanderer, come home, you're not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. There's joy for the morning, oh sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. So lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Wanderer, come home, you're not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. be seated. We begin our time of confession this morning with the words in Proverbs 28:13, which says that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So as this last song said, come as you are and pray with me as we confess our sins to God. God, each and every day, we fall short of your standard. You have called us to have no other gods before you, but we too often find ourselves dedicated to the pursuit of worldly treasures and idols. You have called us to follow you, to love you with all of our hearts, yet we consistently fail to truly seek you and your will. You have called us to be ready for the day of your return is imminent, but we have become complacent, focusing instead on our earthly lives and failing to prepare ourselves for that day. You have called us to repent, to humble ourselves, to truly turn from our sinful ways and to seek righteousness, but we find ourselves pursuing the same sinful behaviors day after day. You have called us to trust in you, 
Yet we are prideful and trust first and foremost in ourselves. And so we fail to obey, to accept correction, to fully trust you, and to draw near to you. Lord, hear our individual prayers as we take a moment to confess our sins to you and ask for forgiveness. Have mercy on us, Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please rise and hear these words of assurance from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 and 25. I've got to find it. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Legs won't clash. <laughs> Once you had received, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Let us praise our Lord and sing to him the words, Hallelujah, praise the one who set us free. That lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name Into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, my living its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope then came the morning 
I'm going to pause at the end of each section. I'm going to ask you to pray silently. Take this as your time to join your voices on what God lays on your heart in each, each area of the prayer. And then I will say, Lord, in our mercy, and you can respond. Hear our prayer. I encourage you to bring up the praises and prayers that are in the bulletin if that helps you focus on some specifics. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh dear God, first we bring your church in this world to you. We ask that you grant, Lord, that all who confess your name would be united in truth, in your truth. We would live together in your love. And your church would reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, this land, this nation, and and all nations... We pray that you would guide them back to the ways of justice, peace, and truth. That we would honor one another and serve the good of all. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For those whose lives are closely linked with ours, and even in this body, God, grant that we may serve Christ in them and that we may love one another as you love us. Lord God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now, God, we pray that you comfort all of those who suffer in their body, in their mind, or in their spirit. They may suffer from darkness, lostness, depression, anger, bitterness. God, give them courage, comfort, and hope in all their troubles. But most importantly, Lord, bring to them the joy of Your salvation. Lord, in Your mercy, hear our prayer. Our God, mighty, almighty, and eternal God, You are the ruler of all things in heaven and earth. Mercifully accept the prayers of these Your people. Strengthen us to do Your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. We will now take time for our offering presented to our Lord.
Okay, let's see. Am I on? <laughs> Putting you on the spot, Jerry. Because <laughs> I've been told I have a soft voice, and so I do need some amplification. Where? Can you hear me? <laughs> All right, I think I hear it. There we go. Well, good morning. It is good to be here, and I am thankful to be able to preach on the mustard seed parable this morning. So please join me in prayer as we submit this time to him and ask for his blessing. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. May your heart and your life be revealed to us this morning. And may you be glorified as we meditate on your teachings. By the power of the Holy Spirit, and in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, I'm going to... Oh, okay. So as I mentioned, I am going to be speaking on the mustard seed parable this morning. Now, it occurs in three of the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark and Luke. But this morning, we're going to be focusing on the teaching that Jesus did in the Gospel of Mark. Now, before we address the parable directly, um, we need to set the stage a little bit. Because as we've talked about before, the parables, Jesus uses the parables to address explicit or implicit questions. So, like last week, Andrew spoke about the lost sheep. And as he pointed out, that parable was directly addressing a question that happened earlier in the passage. Who? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so that parable, Jesus used that parable to address that question. Now this week, Jesus is addressing a question that's implied in the text. It's not explicitly stated. So our challenge at the outset is to try and figure out, to understand what is the question, the implicit question, that Jesus is addressing with this parable. Well, Luke 4, the passage that Jeff read for us earlier, gives us background and I think offers some insight as to the dynamics that were swirling around Jesus' ministry and gives us an idea of what implicit question Jesus is dealing with. So let's look at Luke 4 a little bit and summarize it. So Jesus goes to synagogue, and he reads a passage from Isaiah, from Isaiah 61, and it is a passage that is dripping with kingdom of God imagery. It is a passage of scripture that the Jews had just lived into and hoped for and anticipated and were looking forward to God's kingdom coming like this. So Jesus picks the scripture and he says, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. What an absolutely audacious statement. And the people's response? Well, at first they were amazed at his gracious teaching. And then they spoke well of him. But then the disbelief creeped in. 
Isn't this Joseph's son? Huh. This, this can't be the fulfillment of Scripture. This is a little unimpressive. I mean, this is Joseph's son. Kingdom wouldn't be happening this way. So Jesus exposes and confronts this disbelief. Just like a, like a dart. And he says, oh boy, you don't, you think you know me, but you don't know me. And this kingdom that you're looking for, you're looking for all the wrong things. This kingdom is not what you think. It's unexpected. It's unexpected, just like God's care for the widow in Zarephath through Elijah. And it's unexpected, just like God's healing of Naaman from leprosy through Elisha. It's unexpected. And it's not as exclusive as they thought. Oh, people's response? They were offended. How dare Jesus say they did not know what was going on? Their pride was inflamed to the point where a boy that they had seen grown up, they were willing to push him off a cliff. That's how offended they were. They were blinded by their pride and disbelief. Jesus challenged their expectations and assumptions of how they thought God acts and what his kingdom would look like. And they didn't like it. So this account, this stark account, gives us a snapshot of two dynamics that are going on. First, the audacious and bold claim that Jesus makes, that the kingdom of God is here, now, and available. And the second is how closely held and wrong people's expectations can be about that kingdom. Jesus is saying with his ministry, with his arrival, the kingdom of God is here and it's available. Yet, people's experience of Jesus' ministry and Jesus' kingdom is not what they expect the kingdom of God to be. Even though some of what Jesus was doing fulfilled their expectation, like his healing and his teaching and his miracles, that kind of fit, but a lot of it didn't. They expected a lot more, and it wasn't happening. So the implicit question that Jesus is addressing with this mustard seed parable is, can this really be the kingdom of God? Because it's, it's not impressive. This is Joseph's son. And it's not what we expected. It's open to all who will receive it, not just us. So today... How much more does this question plague us? More than 2,000 years after Christ's inauguration of his kingdom, don't you sometimes say, 
This is it? Jesus says the kingdom is here and available. His disciples preached and lived that reality. But it often seems so unimpressive, small, maybe a little puny. Sure, there have been peaks of power and impact and influence, but much of church church history kind of seems like a disappointment. Is it really going where it should be going? How can this be the kingdom of God? I mean, we look for God's mighty display of power. We expect deliverance from oppression. We expect the defeat of evil and freedom from it. We expect order and clear direction. Where is justice? Where is the blessing? If the kingdom of God came with Jesus, where is it? I think this perceived chasm between Jesus' proclamation and our experience and expectations has resulted in some distorted views of the kingdom. I mean, one that I grew up with was that the kingdom of God is really only a future reality. You believe in Jesus, you get into heaven. That's it. And until then, you just do the best you can. Let's bring this question a little bit closer to home, to New Life Church. So with all the disappointments and struggles that we have had in this church body, do you sometimes question why God isn't showing up more clearly? I do. Why aren't more people here? If God is really active, wouldn't we be making more of an impact? We're so small and unimpressive. Sorry, I feel that way sometimes. <laughs> is this what the kingdom of God is, looks like? So in the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus addresses this question. Then and now. Jesus addresses doubts, my doubts, about his kingdom ministry then and now. So hear God's, hear Jesus' teaching to us this morning from Mark chapter 4. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with branches, with such big branches, that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus' answer, his answer in the mustard seed parable, 
to people's doubts and disbelief about his ministry, about his ministry looking so unimpressive and unexpected, I would say his answer is threefold. First, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. That's what he said. It's like a small, small seed. So Jesus is saying, don't be put off by small beginnings, by what seems small and unimpressive. Jesus' message is true. His kingdom is available. Future realities are not limited by small beginnings. Second, God's kingdom is like a planted seed. Even if it's hidden and it's unrecognized, the kingdom is present and will be fully revealed in God's time. Just like a mustard seed that is planted in the ground and it's going to grow into a large garden plant, so will God's kingdom, inaugurated by Christ, grow into what it will grow into. It is happening. And the third answer to this question is that the kingdom of God is like a grown seed. When Jesus' ministry is fully developed, the goodness and flourishing of God's kingdom, it will be pleasant and wonderful and truly evident. So the kingdom of God is like a small seed. It's like a planted seed. And it's like a grown seed. So to be clear, this parable, it's, with this parable, Jesus is not addressing end times. And he's not addressing the length of time between the inauguration of his kingdom and its fulfillment. He's also not talking about the type of growth that's going to happen or how expansive or that growth is going to be. And he's not talking about Gentiles being invited to the kingdom. And he's not talking about, in this parable, what humans should do or what personal growth looks like. These are all different interpretations that have been swirling around. This parable primarily talks to or addresses the question of, this is the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, don't disbelieve my message just because my ministry seems unimpressive or unexpected. The kingdom of God is available and here. The question for us is, do we have eyes to see? So the application or challenge for us, I think, is to adopt mustard seed thinking. Kingdom thinking, really. And as I've been mulling over this parable, a couple of questions have come to my mind, and I've been saying them um, as kind of a challenge to myself, and I thought I would share them with you. The first question is, is what we think of as small and insignificant really small 
and insignificant. This mustard seed thinking, it really challenges me to rethink what I think is ministry success. First, First Corinthians um, chapter 1, 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Do we have eyes to see Jesus' kingdom? First question, is what we think as small and insignificant, really small and insignificant? The second question is, are we aligning ourselves with his kingdom? Jesus' call is to repent, which really means think about your thinking. Think about your thinking. Change your thinking because the kingdom of God is here. Are we doing this? Well, I wanted to think of some concrete examples of how asking these questions kind of permeate the ministry in our life here at New Life Church. So the first, embracing what is small and insignificant, seemingly small and insignificant. Can we see God at work where he is at work? So the example that I thought of in my own life was our fellowship meals here. We have been doing those for about a year and a half. And over the course of that year and a half, I've noticed a change. When we started, people used to sit in groups, kind of set groups, groups of people that they were comfortable with. And recently, I noticed at our meals, we're all sitting with different people at different tables. We are mixing things up because we are comfortable with each other, because we know each other, and we can share our lives with each other. And it is lovely. However, in regular ministry success mode, I am tempted to disregard that development, that change, that, that rea- new reality as pretty insignificant in the whole, whole scheme of things. How can eating a meal in our basement have an impact for God's kingdom? Mustard seed thinking. Jesus says, the world will know we are his disciples by how we love one another. Somehow, somehow, I don't know how, somehow, these meals, these times where we are sharing our lives, where we are loving each other, and where we are caring for each other, somehow, we are demonstrating to the world that we are Jesus' disciples. Because he said it. It's a mystery to me. It really is. But I believe that we are actively engaging in God's kingdom 
during our fellowship meals. And that somehow it is having an impact by God's grace and by God's design. That's mustard seed thinking. So what about the second question? Aligning ourselves with the kingdom in really a mustard seed way, I guess. Well, I think a perfect example of this is communion, which we will be celebrating in a few minutes. It's a simple mustard seed act of obedience. We do it because Jesus asked us to. This seemingly insignificant act of eating bread and drinking juice Somehow, it deeply forms us and it shapes us as God's people. As we participate in communion and we remember Christ's death for our sin, we have an opportunity to repent, to test our thinking, not just about our sins but about our misconceptions about God and about how he loves and about how he acts. And as we drink this cup and we eat this bread, we are by faith taking in Christ's life, his resurrected, his new life. In this simple act, we align and we pledge ourselves to what God is doing through the grace of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I found this quote from Robert Weber. He is a kind of a worship of God historian that I've read periodically, and I thought it was a beautiful quote. He says, In this symbol, in this symbol of communion of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, in this symbol, a reality is present. Here's my little editorial comment, just like a mustard seed. So a reality is present. The divine action of God redeeming his world through Jesus Christ. Calling, the calling for us to see that our union with God and indeed the union of all heaven and earth is accomplished by God alone in Jesus Christ. In eating and drinking, we experience a foretaste of the supper of the Lamb in the kingdom of Christ, in his rule over heaven and earth. We become what we eat, living witnesses to Christ who lives in us. This is a mustard seed act. Somehow, mysteriously, it exposes us and engages us with the kingdom of God, aligning us with Christ's presence now. Somehow, it's having an impact by God's grace and by his design. So, with the mustard seed parable, Jesus is calling us to faith, calling us to faith in him and in his ministry. 
So is this the kingdom of God now here in this body of believers at New Life Church? Yes, it most certainly is. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we are the seed you have planted. We are the work of your hands. May you be glorified. May your splendor be displayed as you give us eyes to see your kingdom and as you empower us to walk in your ways. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. That's great. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, we celebrate his resurrected life and the reality of his kingdom available now, all to all who will receive it. After Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to his disciples and followers for a period of 40 days. In John chapter 21, The disciples were out fishing and had a long night of no success. In the morning, they heard someone calling from the shore, telling them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. They did it, and they caught a lot of fish. Hear God's word, starting with verse 7. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just... uh, Excuse me. Then the disciples, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord... As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Our risen and victorious Lord invites us to this meal. Please join me in prayer now. Lord, we bless you for your continual love and care for, your, for every creature. We, pray, we praise you for forming us in your image and calling us to be your people. We thank you that you did not abandon us in our rebellion against your love, but sent prophets and teachers to lead us into the way of salvation. Above all, we thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to deliver us from the way of sin and death by the obedience of his life. By his suffering upon the cross and by his resurrection from the dead, we praise you that he now reigns with you in glory and ever lives to pray for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth, defends us from adversity, 
and out of every people unites us into the holy church, the body of Christ. Amen. Join with me now in affirming our faith with the words that are on the slide here. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread and gave thanks to God. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks to God, and offered it to them, saying, Drink it. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. The gifts of God for the people of God. The Lord has prepared this table for all who love him and trust in him alone for life. All who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely trust in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who desire to live obediently in his kingdom, are invited to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. Children of believing parents are invited as well as a sign of the covenant that God makes with his people. I invite the elders now to come. And I also invite you to come to the table now Take, eat, eat the bread and the juice. Please come forward now. Thank you.
to Jesus Christ who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Revelations 1, 5 through 6. Please join me in prayer now. God of grace, you renew us at your table with the bread of life. May this food strengthen us in love and help us to serve each other as we live in your kingdom now. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the Lord. Amen. Please stand and join us in praising our Lord.